Hi, my name is Professor Jason Pomeroy, I'm the founding principal of Pomeroy Studio and Pomeroy Academy. And welcome to JCU Conversations, an initiative by James Cook University Singapore, where I get to chat with captains of industry about what makes them tick and what makes them the leaders that they are today. I'm delighted to be joined here today by Mark Wee, the Executive Director of Design Singapore Council, a Singapore design agency that is really promoting those captains of design who are looking to make a difference in this urban habitat. Mark, I'm delighted to be here with you. Welcome. Same. Thanks. Always good when we meet. It's always good. It's always good. And we're in a perfect setting of the National Design Centre again. Wow. So. Um, let's start okay. with your childhood. It sounds a bit like the psychologist couch, I know, but uh, tell us a bit about your childhood. Oh, to be honest, I had a good childhood. I had a really fun childhood. Uh, most of my memory was probably out of school, out of the classroom, and really not what I was learning inside. But I remember kind of skateboarding, kind of like you know, going on adventures and drains and sort of like hanging out with a whole bunch of people, but basically kind of a lot of improvisation and just learning how to play. That's really nice. And, you know, I'm an, and also kind of really appreciative on reflection that I had parents who basically didn't really pressure me very much. And I think a lot of that sort of, I just take it as just gave me space to kind of just find myself and improvise and, and play and maybe got me here today. Well, you're an executive director of Design Singapore Council, but you're more than that. I mean, you're more than just this catalyst. You're, a, you're an architect, you're an artist, you're a designer, you're an educator. Um, tell us, first of all, what was your first job out of those many hats that you wear? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, the way you describe it, um, I think it's true. I've always found it very hard to sort of describe myself. Mm -hmm. but, um, but, you know, I, I, like I said, if I'm filling up an insurance form, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm an architect. Okay. Right. But my first job, as you know, as an architect, I worked in the architecture practice. Right. right? So after graduation, uh, I came back. I mean, that was a long story. Never really planned to. I was hoping to kind of work in the States. But I ended up coming here and worked for DP Architects okay. for almost five years. And then got my practice and my license. And then I started the studio. Interesting. So as a fresh graduate architect, yeah. having cut your teeth in DP, working in Singapore, was there one sort of defining moment, one particular project that set you on course to be mm. an architect? Or was there a pivot <laughs> point for you because okay. of that one experience? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, first, you know, when I did architecture, I mean, architecture school for, for many, architecture school, education and practice are quite different, right? Yeah. Education is sort of brilliant. I mean, it sort of opens your mind. It kind of teaches you how to think. And in some ways, I think I felt that, you know, the education allowed you to kind of create something out of nothing, right? Mm. Conception. And then coming to practice, all of a sudden you're kind of faced with all this other stuff, code, right? Uh, like budgets, clients, and all these other requirements, but ultimately it's sort of necessary. Um, so I think coming into practice, I was coming in always with a lot of other interested kind of topics, just not really sure where, how to bring it in, knowing at some point it would. But mm. coming to practice, I sort of dove into it. And if I look back about sort of what was a kind of important project was, I think um, one of the last projects I did before I left DP was I did the Majestic Hotel. Oh. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm not sure whether you recognize yes. it. It's that old boutique hotel. And, Beautiful. Uh, today it's kind of Mandala Club. Yes. Straits Club. So I was, uh, we, we designed the, the hotel and it was obviously a great client. And, you know, I think we won some awards for it. But what I took from it was being in that project that as an architect, you would be able to kind of be able to contribute at best spatially 
to the sort of like um, conceptualization and the kind of promise of the project. But there were so many other layers to what would make that business or that hotel work mm -hmm. that, you know, that I felt that, hey, you know, uh, wouldn't that be interesting to be able to kind of inform uh, as, as well as a, as a creative? Yeah. So when I think about the Majestic Hotel, it's a heritage building. Yes. Um, there are those layers of history, layers yeah. of artistic expression. Does that sort of appeal to your artistic sensibilities? Absolutely. I mean, actually, if you recall the hotel, I mean, they had um, art, art pieces in every room. Yeah. So I, there was one art piece I did in one room. It's called the Singapore Room. So okay. that was I'll a have to, I'll mural that I did. Yeah. I, I worked at it for a week. Uh, and endured for, for many years. So obviously there's one, but I think the other part about it was um, just this idea of being able to kind of create something that has all these layers that ultimately will sort of like, you know, um, provide an experience, right, uh, to, to a person. I think that was something coming in. I just felt that it was just a privilege to be able to do, right? Yeah. So artists first or architect first? <laughs> Next question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you can't. Okay, so I mean, it's an interesting thing to break down, right? I don't think you can. It's hard to separate that. The artist is when you yourself bring a personal conviction around what you want to express. Mm. That's sort of hopefully unique to yourself, that you need to kind of own, um, protect, and in a way, sort of be quite uncompromising about. And I think that's the role of an artist, or at least that is what, what great artists do. An architect sort of has to take into account all these other considerations because ultimately you're, you're servicing or you're providing a service to someone that would be responsible to ultimately create something that would work well for that client. And I think great projects have obviously that availability to sort of meet those needs and, and do them well, mm -hmm. but express themselves in a sort of realm of sort of magic or beauty, mm -hmm. and that's the artist, mm -hmm. that sort of, you know, is appreciated at an intangible level. So I think that's where the sort of connection comes. So how many years were you practicing as an architect, and what was that departure <coughs> point to then move on? Was, was artist your second mm -hmm. calling, would you will? Yeah. So I've, I'm, I've always sort of uh, understood myself as an, as an artist, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, aside from making buildings and, you know, I ran a practice also designing experiences mm -hmm. for a long time, I have also always drawn and painted on, on the side, right? So I've always had these sort of three parallels in life. I think just publicly, um, you know, it's just at different seasons, these things kind of become more prominent. Right. Um, so I think, what would I call myself first? Maybe I'll call myself an artist. Mm. Oh, Dan is hard. <laughs> a creative or architect. I didn't say this was going to be easy. No, no, no. <laughs> but you know what? I, 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 think, I think somehow being comfortable with knowing when to use each term mm. uh, for the context is useful because mm. I also understand that these words actually come with a lot of connotation. Mm. Like, you know, like if I say I'm an architect, in some ways people kind of box you as an mm. architect. If I'm an artist, same, and if I'm a designer, or as, a, as a creative, people are like, what is that? So I, 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 I struggle, right? Mm. But I also accept that actually as a creative, uh, through your life, 
the, the beauty is being able to kind of just move into different phases where you get to do things in different realms. Absolutely. I think we're increasingly seeing yeah. crossovers, aren't we? Absolutely. I mean, we look at Thomas Heatherwick yeah. as a sculptor <clears throat> artist who is increasingly entering into the architectural world. We even saw Panin Farina yeah. as the <clears throat> car designer entering into architecture. Yeah. So those, <clears throat> those means of blurring the boundaries between professions, <clears throat> are increasingly being sought after. And I think that the, the general public like to see that. Yeah. I guess that lends me then to speak a bit more about your role as the executive design, you know, ex executive director of, of Design Singapore. I mean, <coughs> surely this must be a perfect platform then <laughs> to see the molding of different professions, creative yeah. professions. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about your role as ED. Okay. Um, so, I, I mean, I would say I'm a public servant right now. I'm the executive director of Design Singapore Council. What is that? Uh, the council um, is really, a, maybe simply put, it's maybe the national agency for design, but we oversee a few things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one, we, our, our mission is to be able to shape Singapore in terms of its innovation economy and in terms of its lovability through design. Design being a very large word, uh, but Really, we see design as a key enabler for driving innovation in business mm. uh, through a differentiated product or service. We all know the value of design. Mm. Um, to obviously take care of the design industries and ensure their health and think about how they can kind of rise up and sort of just go beyond Singapore. Mm. And then also we look into the talent pipeline for, 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 for the country. So we work all with all the schools and we have data around sort of where design is growing, the fields, the new fields, new jobs, new kind of skills. And then, you know, we take a kind of strategic approach around how do we sort of like um, shape the talent pipeline for, 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 for the designers coming out into the industry. And of course, we run the design center like here, right? And we do, we hold talks, uh, conferences, uh, exhibitions. Mm. It's a good one on Corbusier downstairs, oh, right? <laughs> I saw the models downstairs, they were fantastic. Yeah. And then we run our design week and we also uh, give out the President's Design Award, mm. right? So that's really the kind of uh, highest design award in Singapore. So that's what we do. And as an executive director, I, I guess I oversee all of that. Um, um, I think, uh, I mean, people ask how I got this role. I mean, you don't really apply. I, I just was asked whether I wanted to take it up four years ago. But I think looking back, it's probably because of my diverse yeah. <laughs> history yeah. and experience that kind of covered, you know, uh, architecture, experience design, you know, service design, uh, education, uh, interior design. I mean, branding is a whole bunch of things that, you know, then I was like, am I someone with a low attention span? But, you know, <laughs> it worked out because it just kind of yeah. allowed me to understand the breadth of, of what we're trying to do. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned uh, education. You are an educator. Mm. Um, what role does education play within Design Council Singapore? Mm. I mean, I think it's massive, right? I mean, one, I think the role of education in just educating first the public about what design is, mm. I think really is a big part of what we do. And then we kind of kind of break that down. Public, sort of even educating business leaders and then educating even, you could say, educating the design educators yeah. or even uh, institutes of higher learning. So I think education is a big part. Why? Because I think the role of design has really expanded, mm. right? I mean... The easy way we, we used to, to kind of explain was 
in the past, design is sort of maybe a very clear vertical, right? Basically, people creating what you call things, which is products, images, which is, you know, uh, branding, graphic design, all that, or um, um, places, mm. right? Spaces, uh, digital yeah. environment. But yeah. now it's moving into the design of services mm. and experiences that now sort of uh, so that's really expanded. Mm. It's also sort of um, comes and is associated with a certain kind of mindset. If you hear about design thinking, it's either of a human-centric approach towards thinking about how you um, find opportunities for innovation, which now the business world is obviously you know sort of uh, really kind of embracing mm. as as an as a mindset. So it's really all that. Mm. And if you look at the Danish design letter, right? Yeah. I mean, you just talk about an evolution of design being from an expression of form into now the designing and the shaping of systems, mm. right? Um, it, it's, it's, it's really quite different. And most yeah. people don't understand that. So educating people about the value of design is an incredibly important task yeah. so that we move away from the realms of something being quite whimsical and, and yeah. flighty. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a, another sort of tough question, Mark, but, but what do you qualify as good design then? And how do, how do we champion good design? Yeah. I, I think, one, there's always going to be... I mean, okay, we think about sort of how it's expressed. Mm. I mean, clearly, everyone sort of has personal preferences for language and, and how things look. Mm. And of course, there's probably some universal or maybe accepted view of what good design is from what it's um, from at an at a educational or at least at a kind of historical level, what stands out and all that. But I think today, given we're in a sort of uh, a world of sort of high awareness of climate change, mm. uh, a real need to drive sustainable development because mm. of, 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 of the way things are, mm. there's a huge responsibility, I feel, for design to be or good design to be something that is conscious and in driving towards sustainable development mm. in some way or form. So I think that is a new layer of responsibility that you can. So that's being, you know, what you know for something you're going to put out as a product. Uh, what is the um, how much waste are you putting out into the world? Are you think about it of as circularity to you know um, when you're thinking about. Um, um, anything almost you almost have to think about what is the sustainable impact of this or how are you serving its uh, users so i think that's a whole layer of responsibility now that uh, was not so explicit before and we've actually shown that i mean in 2018 we actually revamped our president design award criteria uh, to actually um, award based on impact and you know we, we and and i think that was a big kind of shift to the industry around you know we would be recognizing projects that made an impact on society or the environment in some way. That's lovely. Yeah. That's good to see. And so that leads me then on to the education side. Yeah. As an educator, yeah. tell us a bit about your, your starting point as an educator. And hmm. where do you see Design Singapore Council being placed as a thought leader and educator within hmm. the broader setting? Um, that's a good one. I mean... I mean, why I would call myself an educator is interesting, especially given that I, I don't kind of hold like a full-time position in the college. Mm. I think it's something that's always sort of resonated with me. 
I think a few months ago, my mom kind of reminded me that, you know, the number of teachers in my, in our kind of <laughs> family, um, like my grandmother used to teach art and music, right? Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and homie cons. And so it's in mom, the blood. I, I think in some way, right? Mm-hmm. I, I do think my mom was a teacher at some point and so on and so forth. I think we had some aunts who were even principals, so I was just reminded. <laughs> okay. But I think, uh, so one, I think there's something there that, you know, was always maybe in the blood, right? Yeah. Uh, or we just want to talk and tell people what to do. Yeah. Um, but I think the role of education and design Singapore, I think uh, one, there's a few fronts there, right? One, I think this building and the content we put out online and what we initiated, that is public education. So I think we have a role to play and a visible role that, uh, that I think is very unique uh, because we actually have a space to be able to kind of communicate that, right? And then we have channels like the Design Week and all that where we can communicate. Then in terms of education, um, with how we influence education, right? I think that's when uh, our work on the talent development side and working with all the schools is pretty important. So um, two years ago, we just formed this thing called the Design Education Advisory Committee. And it was actually a sort of really pioneering kind of act mm. where it brought together all the heads of the schools and all the heads of uh, and key people in industry first together to really kind of think about design and design education and how did we as a, as a, as a community want to sort of forward that mm-hmm. in Singapore. And, um, and that, that's really been kind of key. So we have a kind of influencing role in being able to kind of help shape maybe the future and the direction of education. And then of course we do a lot of education with uh, business leaders. Uh, we do a lot of sort of like dinners and, and discussions and uh, roundtables because we want to be the ones, we have to be the kind of advocates to them to tell them what is the value of design. So I think we are constantly educating, you could say, and uh, because I think we, we are evangelists. <laughs> I'd, be a, I'd love to be a fly on the wall of one of those roundtable yeah. dinners. Who do you normally invite to those dinners? I mean, A, we have, um, under one of our teams, we do a lot of executive engagement, right? Right. So I think on that front, uh, often we are in contact with sort of um, business leaders who are interested in design. I mean, we do education on different levels, but I mean, for those who are really uh, are very keen and one, we, we kind of keep them close and then we basically always give them, update them about things that we're doing that they might find meaningful. And then, of course, we just kind of keep in touch and maybe just bring them together to meet other like-minded people. Mm. We also uh, do have a loose community with a number of design leaders in Singapore, at least especially those who have uh, moved to Singapore to work and help maybe different positions in um, sort of multinational corporations, their design teams. So we've also found, uh, felt a need to kind of build a community with them mm. and also you know, kind of keep them in the look of what we're doing. Yeah. So taking this off piste a bit, <laughs> and your reference to Le Corbusier, Le Corbusier downstairs, yeah. if you had your fantasy dinner party that you could bring uh-huh. various people together, who would be your kind of ideal people at your party? It would be eclectic, right? I think I'll get, so I'll get George Lucas, probably one Han Solo. Uh-huh. Okay, this is the, the third and last Star Wars character. I would love the Mandalorian to come for dinner. Um... I would like, I just watched The Devil Wears Prada. I love Anne Hathaway. I think she's pretty good looking. Um, 
I want a, I want Dick Lee. <laughs> oh yes. I'm just thinking that when want, you mention a film producer, director, the creator behind Star Wars, but also characters, Han Solo, <laughs> bit of a rebel. Um, Only the, Han Solo with, uh, as Harrison Ford. So basically, it's Harrison. Ford. Oh, it's basically Harrison Ford. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna finish this. I'm gonna, okay. I have two comedians on my list. I want Robin Williams. Okay. Ronnie Cheng, okay. and a musician, I want Miles Davis. Uh-huh. An artist, I want Ken Dunn. He's an old guy from Australia. Okay. And, and an architect, I want, I want Carlos Capa. Carlos Capa. Yeah. Interestingly that you're going to Venice for the Biennale, so yes. you'll be able to get up close and personal to many of his works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I got to visit it when I was in college. I mean, always loved his work. Yeah, I mean, there's a sort of like kind of there's a mind to ex just a very unique detailing that just comes from a different place. Very good. Yeah. If you were to kind of project now where Design Singapore Council will be in the next five, ten years, what is your roadmap? What is your vision for the design movement in Singapore? Is it wow. to reinforce what is happening locally or in the ASEAN region? Mm. Or do you have broader expectations to see Design Singapore Inc. being mm. seen on a global stage? Mm. Good question. Um, so I think, okay, so one, I think we've, we've, in the last few years, we've actually created a number and launched a number of programs that we hope will institutionalize and probably shape the design industry as well. So that's one. Let me talk about that. And then later on about sort of that role about how we're shaping the Singapore design brand. So a few things we started. I think two years ago, we launched this thing called the Good Design Research Program. And it was really to, to give the opportunity for designers <clears throat> to embark on some research investigation on projects that would ultimately give them an insight or new knowledge into you know, um, how design could sort of make an impact in a positive way. And it's a very broad way, but we have a showcase downstairs and they yield all sorts of interesting projects, people investigating into how do I design for the elderly better, to others to are looking into material innovation for the sustainable, to people rethinking how to make clothes so that you know there's no waste. I mean, there's a whole broad range. So we hope that will institutionalize and basically shape a kind of, um, we feel that Singapore could be a design research hub mm. and where designers here as part of practice is normal to always be all, um, thinking about you know, how design can actually uh, drive sustainable development, right? So I think that's something that we want to do. The other thing that we've done is um, um, we also sort of uh, um, launched a, a program on the business value of design with McKinsey. And that's really kind of taking the design index that they have that's publicly available to actually help companies who want to use design as a differentiator provide a mirror to understanding what is how mature they are and how can they kind of rise in maturity. So hopefully that gives a sort of tangible sort of dimension to also how companies can move forward and really become uh, design centric. Um, so I think that these are some kind of key things they're doing. The other thing on the community side, we started this thing called the School of X. I'm not sure whether you're familiar, but basically it's a kind of like nationwide sort of community design program where anyone could come together in teams and basically work on how to improve their neighborhoods. So that's also been launched. We started some launches in Telok Blanga and Queenstown last year, and you see more of it. 
we've trained about a thousand people within a year. So I mean, these things we hope will institutionalize and actually shape culture, right? In business, in the design community, and even in the local, just as, as citizens, right? So these things, and I think part of the role in the council is you plan for the long game, and you're right, because these things are trying to shift culture. Then in terms of what uh, our role is in terms of uh, the Singapore design brand, how we position Singapore, where do I see the opportunities are. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, the world sort of shifting focus, the new, the drivers for growth is in Asia. Mm. Uh, we are really right in the center of it. And we're unique because as, as a city state, we are actually the only, we are, we are diverse. We really have representatives from all of Asia. And we're the only global Asian city in the world. I mean, what do you mean by that? But really, right, where any uh, Asian person could come into Singapore and just sort of fit right in. So I think it's from this place that we can project something. I think uh, I'm always sort of uh, moved by this idea of uh, a Bauhaus. Is there an Asian Bauhaus movement we could talk about? about what design and how life should look like mm. in this next century. Mm. And I think design can shout about that. I completely agree. Um, we got a few more minutes ago, and I'm conscious that you're heading off to the Biennale. Um, <laughs> art one, the art one. The art one. Um, what are you going to be packing in your bag to read at night? A lot of things are in the iPad these days. but. Um, I mean, if the, if the question was, what am I reading halfway that I want to continue? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a lot of books of which I start on a few. So, so that just gives you a, you know, I mean, a mentality. But I mean, the one book that I'm reading uh, right now is actually a pretty old book. It's called Outliers by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Mm. I'm not sure whether you're familiar, but um, um, it's basically, I mean, he used to be a New York Times kind of uh, writer, mm. but it's really a book around outliers mm. and how, you know, um, and really trying to understand people who are outliers in industry and why they became so great and the conditions behind it. I always find that fascinating because I'm personally, I've understood I'm always going to be an outlier. <laughs> the outlier. Mark Wee, <laughs> executive director, yes. also outlier. Yes, right. If your 21-year-old self was going to see you today, what would a 21-year-old self think of you? I think it's probably by some... If I was 21 looking at myself now and, you know, in my 40s, mid-40s, let's not get to a number, but yeah. <laughs> um, I would say that it's probably by God's grace I got here because I, I don't think I could have planned my career. I mean, how I got in this spot, it is not something you think about when you first are in college. Yeah. And I look at it, it was not a straightforward route. I sort of went through, you know, uh, different sort of um, meanderings. So I would say that um, I would look at it and say, wow, you know, I mean, you couldn't have planned to where you, go, you got to. And I think I would remind myself at 21 that just stay true to your heart. And just do what you feel you have life for. I think that's a beautiful way of wrapping things up. Yeah. Mark, thank you very much for your time. How can we find you on the internet, on LinkedIn, <laughs> on Twitter? How can we find you? I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. I mean, that's my formal sort of work one. Uh, but 
if you want to know more about my work as an artist, uh, you can go to markwee.sg or you find me on Instagram, uh, markwee. Right. Mark, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure, as oh, always. Thank you. Thank you. Always. Thank Super. You.